Sound Pages is a literary series featuring resident artists in the Jack Straw Writers Program. Glassy-eyed, we stare at the mercury rising, watch the seas come to a boil, unable, not knowing how, to get out of hot water. This program features the work of 2019 writer Sylvia Byrne Pollock. In the first half, you'll hear her conversation with curator Kathleen Flanagan, recorded in the Jack Straw Studio. Will you describe your Jack Straw project and how you came to it? Well, I, over the last mm, three to four years, have been writing a lot about two different persona. The first one is called Letitia, and Letitia has uh, a diagnosis of bipolar, and her poems are quite internal and contained about her experience, but they're written in the third person, so it's someone else observing Letitia, what she does, what she doesn't do. The other one is uh, called The Deaf Woman, and The Deaf Woman is modeled after Marvin Bell's poems, The Dead Man. Yes, dead. So we've gone from dead man to deaf woman, and uh, I've written a series of poems about those. So I have a chapbook manuscript of Letitia and a chapbook manuscript about the deaf woman. And I thought it'd be very interesting if these two characters, who obviously are parts of myself, were put in a situation where they had to talk to each other. And I wondered, you know, what will they talk about? What will they say? Um, Is there really that much separation? And if there is, what's it about? So that's what I'm trying to do. Tell me a little bit about how these characters started talking to you and that experience of transitioning from maybe writing about your own everyday experiences toward writing about a fictional character. Was that a transition for you? Well, yes, it made it much easier to write about it, to take it outside of me and put it into somebody else. So uh, that I found very helpful. Were there subjects that were easier to deal with that way? Yes, yeah, just because that distance was there. And that's one reason I'm curious about what will happen if if I take the distance away, because both series of poems are written, as I said, in the third person, and they're written about these characters. Now I'm wanting these characters to talk for themselves, and I want to see how that's going to be different. Yeah. So I would love to know a little bit about your background and where that playfulness comes from, and I think you came to writing in a sort of untraditional way. So talk a little bit about your your background. Well, I grew up in a small town in western New York, and I was the family clown. And I think maybe that's where the humor is, and although it has manifested in different ways over the, over the decades. I mean, I went through a period of puns. Everything was a pun. But uh, I've written since I was was quite young. I mean, I've always wanted to write. And I thought I would be a journalist. So when I was in high school, I was a stringer. 
and I got paid by the inch for how much got published in the Batavia Daily News. Um, then, uh, you know, then off to college and the college literary magazine, that kind of thing. And, but then off to graduate school for developmental biology and uh, the poetry got left by the wayside for a couple of decades. And then in my 40s, I started writing again. But meanwhile, working as a scientist. Meanwhile, working as a scientist and having two wonderful boys. And yeah. And your work, just a little bit about your work, because I think it plays into the kind of sensibility you have as a writer. Well, my work was, uh, as I said, I was trained as a developmental biologist, and I ended up doing cancer research. So a lot of work with mice, looking at their immune responses to tumors. So I, uh, I was one of the early people who discovered, did the early experiments about natural killer cells. And it was wonderful. Yes, it was, it was an exciting time, and uh, then I got done with it. <laughs> and partly it was, I, I think I got tired of having mice as patients, and, and uh, that was about the time I went back to school and got a master's in psych and had human subjects that way. Uh, so I was writing all, all through there, especially, you know, say from, from the time I was around 40 on, I've been filling up notebooks. But it wasn't my primary focus, certainly. That, that happened later. That happened when I uh, took a wonderful trip to Antarctica. And on our way back, we got caught in a hurricane, and the ship is going up and down and up and down, smashing into the waves. And uh, I decided that when we got back, I said when, not if, when we got back, I would do several things. And one of them was to really start writing poetry again. So that was in 2007 a dozen years ago. I am interested, was there anything in in particular that brought you back to poetry? I have always self-identified as a poet. And one of my my favorite uh, teenage memories is uh, our family spent a year in Gainesville, Florida. My dad worked at the University of Florida that year. And uh, it was my senior year in high school, so I had it was tough to leave my school. And I did go back to graduate with my class, but I spent half the year down there in Florida. And uh, my mom took me to hear Robert Frost read. And it was such an amazing occasion for me. Uh, I remember, you know, I can practically still visualize where we were sitting in that auditorium and, and hearing him read and just his his affect. And it was the first time I ever saw an aura. <sighs> a true aura. A true aura. And uh, since then, I have seen them around other poets in particular or other sometimes other performers, depending on what they're doing. They're giving out a particular energy. But, uh, you know, that's always been a special touchstone moment for me. So you said in your artist statement that you identify your role as an artist to be a voice for people who struggle with disability and mental illness. And I was hoping you'd say a little bit more about that and what that feels like or how it comes into your poetry, if it's intentional, unintentional. Well, it feels like it's just something that just is. Issues that are so central to my being that 
I can't ignore them. And, you know, in talking over the years with various people, with mentors, with therapists, it's been clear that if, if I want to be of service, one way I can do that is to use my poetry to talk about these issues and to hopefully pull back the curtain for other people so they can see what it might be like to experience some of these things. Um, I'm finding now as, as I'm trying to have Letitia and the deaf woman talk to each other that, in fact, you know, there are parts of me that care very deeply about the other part <laughs> in a way I hadn't realized before. I don't know if that makes any sense. but uh, Could you give an example? Well, Letitia... You know, ask the deaf woman what it's like for you know to experience certain things or to not be able to hear and such, and then vice versa. The deaf woman asks the tissue what it's like to experience the February whatevers when uh, when she really doesn't care about anything. And uh, I think my my writing style is, in a sense, a very bipolar style because there are times when nothing is happening. And there are times when I'm just reading along and, you know, kind of storing up stuff. And then there's times when it just comes out and needs to be written down. And it's almost as if, you know, that's when the muse comes and says, okay. And I know it's not that simple. The muse doesn't appear if I don't actually sit down, you know, with the book in front of me or a piece of paper and a pen. Now, we'll hear a selection from Sylvia's live reading. Questioning myself, which me will I wake up to today? Which one will I take out to lunch? Or are we already there? I'd thought I was done inspecting my navel, a fleeting thought, mission accomplished but the pennants flutter as I come into harbor. The selves lined up at the rail wear matching jerseys, 100% cotton, made in America. This helps them recognize each other. It's not always easy to recognize yourselves. I asked them some questions. Here's what they said. Do you prefer semaphores or Morse code? listening to body. My physical therapist said, listen to your body, and I laughed in her face. <laughs> I registered surprise, astonishment, disbelief, amazement, wonder. How likely was it that I could hear body when I could hardly hear her? <laughs> Should I expect body's voice to be in a register I get or be low-pitched, mumbled like that of some men I know? Usually, body communicates with me via twinges, pains, aches, spasms, fullness, relief, contentment, pleasure. My hearing aids have only four settings. Normal speech, restaurant party, music, and telecoil. They have no program for listening to body. This is a serious design error. <laughs> Do you ever hear wolves when you least expect it? Why bother? 
The why bother bug is so virulent this dark time of year. It passes the blood-brain barrier, latches onto receptors for dopamine and oxytocin, blocks feelings of reward, of love. Why bother is mediated by cytokines and funhouse mirrors, distorting what is. Goldilocks porridge is lumpy and cold. The wolf's teeth fall out. Jack and Jill, enlisted, have gone off to kill foreigners. Little Bo Peep's flock was rendered redundant by tofu and seitan. In Mexico, caravans of blind mice march north toward the border, striking terror in elephants. I know you're not asking for advice, but I'd just like to point out this is your 79th February. It always gets better. Would you rather watch Silence of the Lambs or Dumbo? <laughs> Harsh syllables. Rage, rage against babies in a cage. Not a playpen or crib or portable play yard fence, but stainless steel frame and mesh, sides, floor, and roof. A kennel, if you will. I won't. At least, I don't want to, but in my name it's being done. We the people are agitated, anxious, willing to believe cockamamie conspiracy theories, invading armies, Hannibal's elephants tromping north through Ecuador and Nicaragua's jungles bringing what? Imagination falters, stops. Reasons border closed. A wall of fear rears up, ugly, antithesis of beautiful. We pay for it. And babies, little girls and boys, lie listless in their crates, yearn to hear a voice they know. Harsh English syllables beat tattoos on tiny eardrums. Do you often watch things boil? <laughs> Desperate for dopamine. Brain cajoles, just one more game, another hand of solitaire, one more chocolate kiss, I acquiesce. Play stimulus and reward over and over until the entire northern sky is painted in swirling green and yellow lights. I don't see the polar bears, desperate, hungry, angry, coming for us in the rapidly warming wilderness. We drill more and more wells in the tundra, block yet another salmon run for the financial frisson. Addicted, we merrily abdicate our role as protectors of the planet embracing the next quick hit. Glassy-eyed, we stare at the mercury rising, watch the seas come to a boil, unable, not knowing how, to get out of hot water.
Do you think that in order to stay alive, you have to respect something? Word work. The poem that declines to be written because it is self-conscious, shy, cryptic, or shallow is a poem that must nevertheless be treated with respect, like a wild goshawk. Don't try to take off its hood too soon. Let it rest in the dark as the two of you get to know each other. Your voice is important. When the day comes to let it fly, watch where it soars. If it disappears into the forest, you must let it go. But if it flies back to you, feed it. Thank you. Sound Pages is a Jackstraw production produced by Alyssa Keene and Daniel Gunther at Jackstraw Cultural Center. Our recording engineers are Daniel Gunther, Joel Maddox, Tom Stiles, and Ayesha Ubiatilaka. Our theme music is by the Bird Tribe Orchestra, produced through the Jackstraw Artist Support Program. The 2019 curator of this program is Kathleen Flanagan, and the narrator for this podcast is Alyssa Keene. The Jack Straw Writers Program was inspired by an over-the-back fence conversation in 1996 between author Rebecca Brown and Jack Straw Executive Director Joan Rabinowitz. The program is made possible with support from the City of Seattle Office of Arts and Culture, Four Culture King County Lodging Tax Fund, the Washington State Arts Commission, the National Endowment for the Arts, Arts Fund, and individual contributors. Special thanks go to Larry Lawrence for transcribing our writers' interviews. All of the writers heard in this series are published in the Jack Straw Writers Anthology. You can subscribe to this and other Jack Straw podcasts through your favorite podcast app. To hear more episodes and learn about our other programs, visit us at jackstraw.org. Thank you for listening.